Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the the lead pastor here, and we're so glad that you've decided to join us for week two of Questions People Ask. And we're looking at questions that people in general ask about the Christian faith, Uh, many who are investigating or are just curious. And then also, uh, personally, maybe questions that you yourself have asked, or maybe you're still uh, asking. And so whether you're investigating uh, what it means to follow Christ and you're kind of as an outsider looking in, or you are already a Christian, uh, we hope that these questions will help give you uh, answers. Uh, we also hope that in the process of looking at this, it will also help you to, to get to know the scriptures and to dig into the Bible uh, for yourself. And so the greatest part about questions are it actually forces us uh, to kind of go on a hunt, to, to search, to, to dig in, to find uh, information. And even more than that, really, to search uh, for truth. And so I hope this helps you. Again, if you're a Christian, I hope this fortifies your faith. Uh, If you're investigating, I hope this helps you uh, take next steps as you move uh, towards getting to know God better. And so last week we uh, launched a series talking about what about Jesus? Uh, Again, Christianity, Jesus is the center of Christianity. And a Christian is somebody who follows Christ. And so we started there talking about key questions related to Jesus. And so if you missed that, I encourage you sometime this week, uh, you can listen to that or you can watch that. If you go to our website and click on the message tab on the top of the website, uh, you can find that resource. Also, I forget to mention this a lot, but we are podcasting as well. Every week we podcast the audio of uh, the messages that we we talk about. And so if you into podcasting, uh, if you just search Ridgeview Church Fontana on your favorite uh, podcast provider, uh, you'll be able to get those automatically uh, downloaded each week for you. So I encourage you to do that. So today, the second question we're asking is this, what kind of God? Now really that question is not complete. It's really what kind of God dot, dot, dot. And these are the specific things we want to look at today. What kind of God allows evil and suffering in the world? This is a question since the beginning of time that humans have asked, wrestled with, and felt the weight on our lives. How, when we look around and see what's going on, how does or what kind of God allows these things to happen? And then the second question, which is related is, what kind of God doesn't stop evil and suffering in the world. So not only allows it, but isn't proactive uh, to stop it. We don't have to look far to see that this is true and this is real in society right now. Uh, We're still dealing with the after effects of the COVID-19 outbreak. And so as you look at diseases, viruses, deaths related to that, there's a certain question of like, why, why does that exist? And you can see uh, just not only the the deaths and the the loss of life related to that, but the impacts on our economy and the jobs that are lost, it's terrible. And we mourn with all those impacted, Uh, it's impacted people within our church and and it's it's tragic. Uh, Also, uh, we look at just unrest right now in our country, people protesting based on what they think the justice system should do or not do. And some of the protesting is peaceful and then some of it's not. And it's turning into some mob rule and rioting and protesting and violence. And you don't have to look far to see that. You can see it in our own state. You can see it in states 
throughout our country. And then speaking of our state, even looking at natural disasters, we've had fires that are ravaging all around us, all the way up our state into the Northwest. We have firefighters, part of our church who are fighting those fires. And we're so grateful to you guys as you do that. But as you look at destruction, even by natural disasters, it asks this question, like, why is this happening? This destruction and even loss of life related to to all these things. And then on a personal note related to, to Christianity and following Christ, there's people who are being killed for their faith. In fact, there's Ethiopians right now who are being martyred because they follow Jesus. You may not have heard that on the news, but that as well is is suffering and an evil that's hard to wrestle with. And then also, as you look at just the value of life and the human trafficking that's going on, as people try to rob people of their meaning, their value, even this just just brings just such a burden uh, upon us. And so as we ask this question, what kind of God allows this to happen? And then what kind of a God doesn't stop this from happening? I don't ask this question lightly. This is actually a heavy question. This is a burden. And there's actually something not just easy where you can just plug in the question and the answer comes out. It's something that we wrestle with. Now, part of what makes this difficult is there's layers. On one hand, uh, we can approach this question and these series of questions on just a merely intellectual level, like like a formula. Okay, if God is good and powerful, then how can evil and suffering exist? In a way, it doesn't add up on this side of the equation versus that side. And then there's social level to this as we look at the brokenness of society, the brokenness of our communities, the brokenness of our families. There's a certain sense of how do we fix these issues? When at times it seems like it, it can't be fixed. So there's intellectual and there's social And then there's also a personal. And this question today, like what kind of God allows these things to happen, it can really hit us on a a personal level. A couple questions related to that. Uh, Why or what kind of a God doesn't answer my prayer when I ask him uh, to heal someone? Maybe in your life, there's somebody that you have loved dearly It might have been a family member. It may have been a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, somebody that that you love and you prayed for God to heal that person and God didn't. And you begin to ask, like, why did God hear my prayer? Why why wouldn't he do that? In my own family, we've been ravaged by cancer, that deadly disease. My mom, my grandfather, my uncle, and you just don't have to go far in our own family to see just even the suffering caused by cancer. And I know for you, And many of you, that that could be the same. But you begin to ask those questions in a personal, like, why, God, did you not answer my prayer to heal me or to heal this person? And then the second, this is related just maybe where we feel stuck in our own suffering. Maybe in just the confines of our own head where we're battling maybe addiction, we're battling uh, things that have happened to us, we're battling just pain and evil, and we ask the question, what kind of God doesn't help me change when I'm so desperate to change? And again, these questions I don't ask and present to you lightly. These are questions that we all wrestle with. And like I mentioned in the beginning, 
These are the questions that actually we have wrestled with since the beginning of time. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about kind of the beginning of time so we can find some of these answers. But this is actually what people call the problem of evil. And it is a problem because most people use this problem of evil as a way to say, well, God can't exist. Again, on an intellectual level, if God is all-powerful and he's all-good, then how, on this side, can evil and suffering exist? So people assume, well, then God can't exist. Because if this exists, God can't exist. And the formula doesn't add up. Well, for today's purposes, I'm actually going to come from an assumption that God does exist. Because it's still a problem that we have to, to wrestle with. So if you're still battling or wondering the existence of God, this is not going to be focused primarily on that, although I think it will give you some helpful context and layers, especially as we dig into the scriptures. But I do want all of us to wrestle with what kind of God and who he is and his character and how do these things uh, all interact with each other. And again, these are things that are difficult to wrestle with, difficult to chew on, but I hope that it will be a help to you. So that's the first question. What kind of a God allows these things to happen? The second question, which is built upon this, is why is there evil and suffering in the world? Again, if God exists and there is evil and suffering, why is that? How does that happen? How do those two things uh, add up. Now, this question, why is there evil and suffering in the world, is actually not a question that rests solely on Christianity. It's actually a question that every human has to wrestle with, no matter your background, no matter your belief system, no matter what you've experienced or seen. We all have felt the impacts of evil and suffering in real ways. We don't have to go far. We can see it. We can see it in the broken families that we may have been a part of, we can see it in the broken communities that we live in. We all can see it. But what do we do with that? And so this rests on every religion to answer. This also rests even with atheists who believe there is no God. And that's helpful to think about because this is not just a Christian issue or a problem. The problem of evil is something we all have to wrestle with. So atheists believe that There is inherent goodness uh, in humans, and certainly we have value. We'll talk about that in a moment. Atheists also believe that this goodness will naturally lead toward an upward progression, which they call naturalistic evolution. So this goodness, things are going to get better, uh, more peaceful, more noble, uh, more good. However, as you look around the world, this isn't the case. In fact, it seems like things are getting worse and there isn't as much peace and there's not as much good and there's not a whole lot of nobility. And so even from the atheistic worldview, how do you answer and come up with solutions to this problem of evil? So let's get back to the Christian worldview. And again, we're coming from this understanding that that God exists In fact, he's the creator, and so he has this role in all these things working out. And we're going to dig in uh, to what that means. So let's answer. Why is there evil and suffering in the world? Well, it began actually with, with creation. And so God created mankind to love. That's the first point I want to talk about. Now, 
Recently, we've, we've talked a lot about the origin of man because we've been dealing with a lot of issues, especially in COVID-19, especially in social unrest. The origin of the species and making sense out of where we are is always connected. To make sense out of where we are here, you actually have to go back. Where did we come from? How did we get here? And what's happened? So there's a sense of history that is helpful to look back so we can learn more about here and now. But let's again read what happened in Genesis 1, uh, 27 through 28, when God created man and woman. This is what the scriptures say. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, check this out, verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the beginning of the human race began with God creating. And he created us out of love. Now, how do we see that? It doesn't actually say that specifically in the text. Well, what you can see in the beginning of 28 is God made them and then he blessed them. So he put his fingerprint on us that we are made in his image and that means we have a soul and in fact that means we will go on forever into eternity so he made us to exist forever and what the scriptures say we either will exist forever with him in heaven as this life wraps up here on earth or we will exist forever in hell and even that can be something we we wrestle with but he made us with his image we bear that image so that we can relate to him. That's why he created Adam and Eve. There's this now relationship. They have that with each other. And then they had that with him as their creator. And he blessed them. He blessed them, one, by making humans in his image. And then also what you see in the passage is that he gave them responsibility. He gave them actually power. He, he actually gave them freedom. And that's the love that you see. God created man and woman in freedom so that they can choose how they relate to God. That's the ultimate really test of love. It's, it's freedom. Without freedom, there, there is no love. Without freedom, we actually are like robots. Uh, check out this video of hundreds of robots working together on what they've been programmed to do. Let's check that out. Now, when I first saw that, I thought that was fascinating and scary at the same time, right? You see that, and they're all working the exact same way in conjunction. Well, how does that happen? They have been programmed. They're doing exactly what the owners and the engineers created them to do. They were not made to have a relationship with the engineer or the creator. They, they were actually made to do what they were told. Well, that's not how God created us. He created us to love us, again, in freedom. In this blessed way that we, we've been given a role to play in this world, a very noble role. Managing the earth, managing what God's given us, having stewardships, responsibilities, using our power to do good, despite what we've been talking about, that's not always the case. So we're not robots. We've not been programmed. God gave us freedom. And in that freedom, he created that so that we could actually 
love him freely, love each other freely. And that's the basis of love is we're not robots. We're not machines. We're humans made in his image. So that's very important as we talk about the rest of these issues and the rest of these questions. The second uh, point is God gave us boundaries and freedom. So here we see attention. So there's freedom that we all have. But then there's also boundaries. This is God has made right and he's made wrong. And you see this in the beginning as well. Let's continue in Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Again, the responsibility he had. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, now the command, that's the boundary, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, it, you shall surely die. So this is this command connected to the blessing. I've given you all this to enjoy. But this one tree, the boundary, you shall not eat. This is for me. This is God's. Like humans, like this is a a place that you do not go. And there there was a boundary. But there's freedom because God gave choice, again, out of his love. But there was boundaries. And that's actually always working together. Love and boundaries. If you're a parent and you love your children, you make sure they know certain boundaries. Like you always hold the hand when you're younger of your parent or an adult before you cross the street. Why? Because you love your child. You don't want them to get hit. As they get older, in boundaries, you teach them, make sure you look and you look and you look again before you cross the street. Why? Because you love them. By these boundaries or rules or even commands, you're protecting those that you love. And it's the same with God. He loved us enough to give us boundaries. But he gave us freedom. And that's where you can see the tension And so there's kind of plan A, God's way, his boundaries within the freedom that we've been given. And then there's plan B. Given my freedom, do I stay within the boundaries? And as you probably already know, what was Adam and Eve's choice? Well, they chose to rebel. And that's the third point. It's actually not just them, but we rebelled and sin entered the world. The reason I say that is we have all rebelled because we've all sinned. And I think we could all agree with that. It's easy as we look to Adam and Eve in a way to say, why did they do that? They had so much blessing. God had given them so much, so much meaning. They were complete in their identity. Why would they do that? Well, the question is the same for us. Why why do we do it? Because we rebel. In our freedom, we still choose the wrong thing. And all of us in the human race, we put our stamp of approval on what Adam and Eve did because we've done the same. And so we really all have rebelled. And check out the further account in Genesis 3. This is verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together 
and made themselves loincloths. Very interesting. Many say that the beginning of rebellion and of sin was the sin of pride. There was a boundary that God had put on and then there was Eve and Adam both saying, you know what, God doesn't really know. He said option A, to not do this, but we really know that this, this is a delight to us. So notice that he says, it's not good, you don't do that. And Eve saw it and said, no, that is good. Basically, God, I know better. And at the root of all of our brokenness and our rebellion and sin is pride. We know better. So that choice was made. Option A, stay within the boundaries, within the freedom you've been given. And we chose option B. We're going to do what we think is best. The world was broken. Evil entered. Suffering became a reality. And we're frustrated people. We see devastation. But again, we all have put our stamp of approval on what Adam and Eve did because we do the same thing. G.K. Chesterton was a theologian, and he was wrestling with these same questions that we're dealing with. Evil and suffering, good, powerful God. How do these go together? And he asked this question of himself. He says, what's wrong with the world? And his answer, I am. And this is at the core of the Christian worldview. At the end of the day, as we wrestle with sin and suffering, Part of what we all have to do is take a responsibility for our own rebellion. And that doesn't mean that we are at fault for everything bad that happens. Of course not. But that we are part of the fall. We are part of the brokenness. And we are capable of our own evil. And we are also capable of putting suffering on others. So it's something that we all have to to face. And because of that, like I said, the whole world is broken. Nothing has escaped the stain of sin. And that leads to the the next point. We all experience what the scriptures call the groans of creation as a result of sin. When sin entered, what the scriptures say is even creation is under the burden of sin, the brokenness. It's, It's groaning. This is what it says in Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Very interesting analogy because part of the curse on Eve because of her sin was that childbearing now would produce much pain. And notice that creation, it's like experiencing that same fall, like the same kind of pain in in the world. And that's why... Uh, There's earthquakes and there's tidal waves, there's volcanoes, there's mudslides, there's wildfires, there's birth defects, there's disease, there's AIDS, all these things that, that we encounter. All of creation has been broken and we all face uh, the reality of that. And again, it was linked to the freedom that we were given. It was linked to the choice that Adam and Eve made and we've all put our stamp of approval on. But why? Why would God allow that? Well, it goes back to, for God, he loved us so much that he could not take freedom away. 
He wanted the relationship with you and the relationship with me to be real, to be authentic, to be genuine. If there was no choice and we were programmed to love him and we were programmed to follow him no matter what, again, we would be like machines. We would not have the value of the human experience. But instead, God uses even the pain and even the suffering for us to seek him. He has allowed it to happen. God is sovereign. It did not just enter and escape him. He wasn't like hiding somewhere and this slipped into the world. He allowed it because he allowed freedom to exist. And I'm actually so thankful that he allowed freedom because it's the same freedom that he's worked to redeem us, to make things right. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. This is a very hefty quote. C.S. Lewis wrote a fantastic book dealing with these issues called The Problem of Pain. If you would really like to, to wrestle with some of these issues, in one message it's very difficult to answer our questions, but that book by C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain, is a very helpful resource. And this is something he said. And so kind of track along with this quote. It says, try to exclude the possibility of suffering, which the order of nature and the existence of free will involves, and you will find that you have excluded life itself. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Now, doesn't it almost seem like you have to go back and read that? Because every sentence, C.S. Lewis is such a, a rich writer. He was such a good thinker. But he, he's saying that God's love is so real that even the pain and suffering that we experience and that exists is, is linked to that. Because from freedom, we experience what we experience. The brokenness has come. And so this is where there's this kind of crazy tension. The, the love and the freedom he's given us is so beautiful, but it's also brought barbaric consequences because of our own rebellion. And things, because of being made in his image, we're so noble, but at the same time, we can take away the value of others. And even his creation, he made it, and it was good. And he said that it was good. After he made everything on every day, the sky was good, the land was good, the water was good, the animals were good. He made humans, and we were very good. So he made to bless us, but then sin, the freedom, linked to his love, made it not good anymore because of what we did. Now, this brings the question, well, why didn't God just wipe out evil? Why didn't he do that? Well, again, if everything is stained and marred, for God to wipe out evil, do you know what? He would have to wipe out me and he would have to wipe out you. 
They have to wipe out everyone who came before us. So even in that, you see the beauty of his love, that he had worked a plan from the beginning of time. As soon as sin entered, he had worked a plan that would take the pain, the evil, the suffering, but at the same time, the freedom and the love and the fact that we're made in his image and he would redeem it. How? Well, that leads to the last question. Where is God? If we're stained, if the world is marred and corrupted, where is he? And the answer to the question is he never left. And again, he has been working out a plan. Check out this promise in Romans 5. This is verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. Now check this out, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died died for us. If you have never memorized those verses, I encourage you, memorize those this week. In that, you see that from the very beginning of the brokenness, despite what God had created and made it good, he has been working out a plan. And it wasn't like he needed to take a long time to think about it and to factor everything in. He knew the plan. He always knew the plan. But notice what the scripture says, at just the right time. And I don't know why the time of sending Jesus was when it was. I don't know what was going on in history that that made sense. I have no idea, but God does. And it was just the right time. How do I know this? Because that's what scripture said at just the right time. He saved someone to redeem us, even though we were still sinners, powerless to save ourselves. So you want to know the answer to that question? Where is God? Well, he has given us himself. What would God do with this problem? He came here. He sent his son to dwell with us, just like we talked about last week. He came to planet earth to suffer so that while we were still sinners, it actually wouldn't be an eternal judgment. We could actually take the sin, take the judgment, take the suffering, take the brokenness. And although we're still going to deal with the after effects of those, they will not be counted against us for eternity. He suffered for us. He paid the price for us so that in freedom, we can now go back to God. Jesus has made a way for us to be redeemed again, back to our original intent of connecting and fellowshipping and knowing God. It's really a beautiful picture. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the best news. Now, does this mean that you just turn to Jesus and there's no more pain in your life? No, you will still experience pain. Does this mean you turn to Jesus and now you won't experience suffering? No, you you'll still experience suffering. In fact, you might experience more suffering. But 
The good news is God now will work out the pain and he'll work out the suffering for your good. Why? Because he loves you. And that's what the scriptures say in Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that God will work this out. And so we're left with the question, well, given all this, will I turn to God and trust him in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the suffering, in the middle of the brokenness? And do I believe he will use it for my good? Doesn't mean I'll know the answer. Doesn't even mean we may know all the answers on this side of heaven, but it does mean that he'll use it. And he could use it to grow us, He can use it for us to understand how to love people more deeply, have compassion on people more differently. All the things that happen to us, God can use. And not only that, God loves you. And in your suffering, he wants to help you. And in your pain, he wants to help you. And so wrestle with this question. Ask yourself, if this is true, then God His love has always reigned because from the beginning, he created us. And even through freedom and brokenness and the choices we've made, his love still has continued on and manifested in the person of Jesus. And he still wants to relate to us. And he still wants to sacrifice for us. And in fact, he suffered for us. The ultimate picture of suffering is Jesus on the cross. And then the ultimate picture of victory is Jesus rising again from the dead. So as I wrap up, I encourage you, wrestle with these things. Go to God with what you're experiencing, what you see, the burdens that you have, and just talk to him about it. That's what prayer is. Just talk to him. Tell him how you feel. Tell him what you're dealing with. He can take it. And not only that, he will draw near to you and he will help. So as I wrap up, here's some next steps that you can take. First is ask God for an opportunity to share with someone struggling this week. This is not just intellectual. It's not just social. It's, it's, it's personal. And there may be people in your life right now who are hurting. And you may have been just hesitant to reach out to them because you don't know the answers. Did you know you don't actually need to have the answers? You need to do what God did. You need to love. And so just ask God, will you show me someone this week who is struggling who's feeling the burden of life, the brokenness, how can you go and be someone in Christ's love to help relieve that burden? By listening, by loving, by caring, by serving, by showing kindness, by just taking initiative. Ask God to show you someone. Ask God right now, God, will you bring someone to mind who I could help who's struggling? Second next step, this is where you can dig into the scriptures for yourself. Read Romans chapter 8. I mentioned a couple verses from Romans. Romans is a great book. Again, theologically, it's got so much about the Christian faith, but Romans 8 specifically is a chapter that brings a lot of comfort and perspective. So I encourage you this week, read Romans 8. You could read four to five verses a day or six to 12 verses. You could read the whole thing at once, but read it, take some notes, ask some questions, wrestle with the scriptures yourself. And then there's a third next step, which this is just blank. What is it that you sense God's telling you to do? 
And we leave that blank just so you could ask God that question. What, what is it I need to do this week, God, based on this? See if he shows you something. See if there's something that he says, you know what, you pay attention to this or, or do this or, or don't do that. And then finally, uh, for many of you, I, I emailed you this past week, and this isn't related to this message, but it's still a really important next step. We are about 40 days away from the U.S. presidential election. And there's actually a lot of these questions which begin to wrestle with related to the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of our country, and what do our leaders do, and how should we vote based on all these issues that we're dealing with. And it can be very confusing, specifically if you're a Christ follower, you may be asking the question, what do I do with my stewardship politically, but also my stewardship as a Christian? And so we're offering an eight-week online course called God and Government. If you're interested in that, there's a next step you can take related to that as well. And you can just say, I'm interested in God and government. You can just check that on your digital connection card. And we'll send you an email with some more information. And then you can decide whether you'd like to join us. We're going to be kicking that off on October 8th. But I think it will be a really help to you, which will give you just a sense of what's my role in this season as I handle my stewardships specifically in this political realm. And so I encourage you, that might be the last next step you want to take today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have a prayer request, if you're dealing with some things, even related to what we're talking about, we would love to pray for you as a church. So on the connection card, as you fill that out, let us know how we can pray for you. And we will do that this week. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love And even the freedom that you gave us that enabled us to have a real relationship with you. God, as we look at the world around us, as we look at our own lives, there is so many cracks and just things that seem like they're falling apart. And it can be so easy to get hopeless and to be overwhelmed. But we know that you had worked out a plan for our redemption before we ever came to this earth. And you worked out a plan of redemption at just the right time. So God, I pray for anyone who's not yet decided to follow you, that they will see that Jesus has come to save us from brokenness and to save us from pain and evil. Not that we don't face it, but that we know how to actually live life in the middle of it. Thank you, God, for redeeming us and for making a way for us to relate to you again through your son, Christ. If anyone is dealing with burdens right now, I pray, God, that you will bring comfort to them. Anyone is just feeling overwhelmed by life, feeling choked out with the hopelessness, God, will you give them hope right now? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.